Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast, right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. I know it's only been a couple of days since we last spoke. We did the post-Newcastle podcast on Wednesday with Art DeRoche, and I wasn't sure if we were going to have a podcast today because I didn't know if there would be enough really to talk about. But I think there are a couple of bits and pieces going on, a couple of things that we could delve into today. So it might not be the longest Arsecast of all time, but it's still an Arsecast. And what more could you want, apart from, of course, to have a good guest to have the chat with? And, well, we've got a good guest. It's my pleasure to welcome back Clive Palmer. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. How are you? Yes, I'm good. I'm good. I'm absorbing the Newcastle game and seeing where it's taken us, right? It's an interesting game, isn't it? It is an interesting game. And you know what I thought about uh, afterwards? Not that I always think of you, but I did think of something that you've spoken about more than once in your podcasting life. And you talk about how the opposition, the way that they play tells you a lot about yourself, right, as a team. And I watched Mikel Arteta's post-game interview on Sky, and he talked about, you know, he was asked about the 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 approach that Newcastle came. They defended in a low block and, and 11 men behind the ball and all that kind of stuff. And he was much more keen to give credit to his players for for the way the game went because he said that's not how Newcastle play and I spoke about it on the Arscast on on Wednesday and uh, with Art and a few people sort of pointed out to me that Eddie Howe had said something like this in his post-game interview uh, on Sky which I watched but this bit passed me by so I'm just going to play this little bit from from Eddie Howe here you'll probably be able to hear it now we wanted to attack the game we wanted to be ourselves the reality of that I don't think we quite were but I think that's credit to Arsenal with how they played. I think they forced us to sit a little bit deeper than we would normally want to. Um, but sometimes you have to do that in, in a game. You have to slightly tweak how you play to stay in the, in the match. I felt we had to, we did. And the players deserve all the credit for coming through that test. So, like, what, what do you make of that? Because my first thought after the game was like, oh, Newcastle came, they just wanted to sit, they wanted to spoil. But what Arteta said, what Eddie Howe said sort of puts the performance in a slightly different context or a different light anyway. Yeah, so basically I think before the game, Andrew, I, I must have misread this game because I was thinking a post St. James's Park in, in the in the spring, I'm thinking it's going to be a two, two you know, backwards, forwards, NBA game, you know, basketball game. 
Remember they pushed it down the line and Callum Wilson ran in behind. I'm mm. thinking they brought him back for this game. I'm thinking they're going to get us to run backwards. And, you know, with my worry head on, I'm thinking Rashford got us to run backwards. Remember at Manchester United, I'm thinking mm. it's going to be a challenge for Saliba. Is he rusty? Blah, blah, blah. All this sort of stuff's going through my head, right? So the game kicks off. They go long. I'm thinking, there you go, Clive. You are right again. I'll just give myself a pat on the back. <laughs> you know what I mean? Exactly as I imagined. And, um, then we run at them and then we run around them. Then we create three chances in like seven minutes or so. And it's like, oh, okay. Then the game adjusted. And it was a, it was maybe a credit to us that we forced them to change their plan. Cause I think they did want to play in our half and go long and then fill in behind, win the second balls and play, create set pieces and, and big man opportunities. Cause they're a big team. Right. So, mm. so, but we changed it. And we forced them to protect their house, you know? And then in the end, we we continually won that battle. And in the end, by the end of the game, they decided we better hold on to this. And it became attack versus defense. So I do think it was such an interesting night for the perception of both clubs and where they are and how teams are going to react to both clubs going forward. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I saw you tweet something about what, what does this night tell us about brand... Newcastle. What what do you yes. think it told us about Newcastle? Did did it sort of suggest that okay they're riding high? They're obviously very well organised. They've got uh, you know good structure. They're difficult to break down. They're a big team. They're powerful. Uh, they get men in. They can react very well in game, as we saw. You know when when Saka had a bit of freedom in the early minutes to run at Dan Byrne. He never really got that again. You know, sometimes there were two, sometimes there were three players. It was either Joe Willock dropping in, Joe Linton dropping in. As soon as Saka had it, you know, they they, they 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 tweaked things from a tactical point of view. So you can see, you know, why they haven't conceded many goals this season. But, I mean, does it suggest perhaps that they are... Remember when under Unai Emery, everyone was saying this unbeaten run we're on, it doesn't really stack up when you look at the underlying stats. Are they just sort of a little bit ahead of where they should be, if that makes sense? Because you could kind of make the same argument about us when we think about where we were going to be at the start of this season. If we were where Newcastle were, for example, and there were, you know, uh, City ahead of us and Liverpool ahead of us, we'd probably be thinking that's about right. Yeah. So what do you think it says about Newcastle? I think, for me, if, if you're a coach, you, you need to put your flag in the ground. And maybe I misread Eddie's flag, right? Because I just expected something else. I expected a bit more football. On mm. the highlights, you know, we watch our own team religiously, don't we? But on the other teams, we get snippets and bits and pieces. And if there's a big game, we get to see them. So I think it's was a coming out for Newcastle, this game. Because now they're playing Arsenal, big game on TV, country watching, what you got, you know? And they showed us, we can play football for five minutes, we didn't quite fancy it, and then we're going to retreat. We're going to retreat into our turtle shells, right? So mm. so I'm I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking, well, what does, this, what does this say? What does this say about them? What does this say? I don't think this is who they are. I don't think it's who they're going to be going forward. But it is who they are right now. And I was saying this earlier today, I... I I, I think the whole league is looking for a story. The media and the 
the, the narrative is looking for a story. The normal story is Liverpool, Man City, right? That's the story we're used to. Mm. How, who's going to drop points, etc. And Chelsea doing their pieces, the main night being FC Hollywood. And this is how we've, this is what we've grown used to over recent years. And Arsenal doing, being the banter club down in fifth to eighth, right? So, but now we've become the story. And the next big story, Andrew, is Newcastle. Hence my tweet about brand Newcastle, right? So they are the next big story. And what are they going to look like? What are they going to represent? Now, if you look at some of their signings, they've signed a lot of English players, British players. Um, and they've got a bit of, they've got British coaches and they're hardworking. They're quite, um, they're quite British in their approach. Play big, you know, up and down football, set pieces, et cetera, et cetera. And I think I expected something different to this. Did you, though? You know? I mean, do you not think that that is what Newcastle are probably going to have to aspire to be in the sense that, with all due respect to our friends in the Northeast, there are more attractive places in England for footballers to be. And I know some of that can be offset with with money. You know, we've seen that and, and, you know, that will be the case because they can basically pay whatever it takes to get whatever player they want as long as that player is willing to go there. But it just strikes me that perhaps a, a sort of a very British team might be the thing that they look to build because that will be the easiest thing to build in the relative short to medium term because those players are yeah. are are gettable for them in a way that it's going to be very difficult to I don't know you know sign Kylian Mbappe even though they could afford yeah. it you know I know that it's just a ridiculous notion but you know are they going to be able to pry away the best South American players from Barcelona or Real Madrid you know th this is something I think that they're going to have to um be for a while before they can take it to another level. Yeah, you know, that's a really good point. And I think, I'm not saying this to denigrate them in any way. I just think it's, it's an interesting concept. And I I respect what they're doing. I, I know a little bit of what they're doing in the background when they're hiring. We know about Dan Ashworth. We know about Eddie Howe. These are known people to us mm. and how they operate. And I think it's interesting, the first phase of Newcastle, if this is the first phase, or is this who they want to be? given the controversy around their their ownership, per se, air quotes mm -hmm. job, and what what better way to tidy that up by being very British? Do you see what I mean? It's, yeah, it, it would certainly deflect some of it. It would certainly deflect some of it, right? I mean, you know, the, the Gary Nevilles of this world that control the football voice to the world, as we all know, and is the only voice that really matters, um, the, the Nevilles, per se, well, they, they like this. This is, this is a story. This is a new narrative. We have a team that's, you know, quite, quite British in its design, but with big money. They can take this a bit further. Mm. And we have this, we have Arsenal with their crazy young coach jumping up and down the sideline, you know, um, and we, we've seen that before. And their lovely flying football. We want to get under that sort of thing. Mm. So maybe we want to, we want to pull that apart. And so it is a very interesting story that's developing to the one that we are not used to, per se. Mm. Liverpool Man City story, the Klopp Guardiola story. It hasn't quite had the edges they wanted, you know, with the manager personalities, etc. So they, they're going to create something else. And yeah. It's, it's interesting to see where we fit in this, mate, to be honest. That's true. And, you know, as we know, Gary Neville is not averse to taking uh, money from 
the Middle East. So that might temper his view on on certain things that are going on there. Um, I want to sort of flip it around back on onto us, though. And tactical variety, variation, the ability to change games from the bench is is really important for any team that wants to challenge for a Premier League title. My sense of the Arsenal squad this season, you know, if everyone's fit, and I know that's aspirational, but, you know, it is a stronger squad than it was last season. Nevertheless, when it comes to sort of changing the first 11 or being able to apply certain... I mean, look, some of this might be simply down to the fact that most of our games have gone really well this season. We haven't had to react too much. So it's sort of like, if it ain't broke, don't don't fix it to an extent. But, you know, the, the, the changes to the starting 11, like you don't want to be changing it like four or five players every week. I get you need some continuity. But do you worry a little bit about the the depth of this squad four games like this one against Newcastle where a different kind of threat in the final 15 minutes could have been the difference. I'm not saying we got to go out and buy a target man, but you know what I'm saying that this, a different, um, a different threat, something for tired legs to deal with something that they haven't been used to for 75 minutes. All of a sudden you cause them different problems you know, we know he didn't make a substitution. He said after that that was because the game was going, you know, what he considered was going well. We were on top. I mean, I think there is a, a, a conversation to be had about what we had on the bench. But, you know, it is, as much as everybody gets a bit transfer crazy in January, it is it is grounded in a kind of reality about what we've got to do for the next five months of this season. Absolutely. So I felt we were wide forward short from the summer and we didn't add it. We got a bit distracted towards the end of the window and we went for midfielder, ended up with nothing, right? So we, we say got away that we managed to keep people fit until the World Cup came along and struck down our centre forward. Now, do you remember the Fulham game when we we went to almost like a 3-5-2 and played two strikers up front, brought Eddie on late mm. and really loaded them up the top end of the pitch with wide wing-backs per se. I think the wing-backs were Martinelli and Saka, so that tells you what we were doing, right? So I wish we could have brought Eddie on in this game, if you see what I mean, with Jesus. Mm. And then suddenly we're, not, we're having a different discussion that we didn't quite get it, but it wasn't because of energy. We're just one or two short. It's as simple as that. We've got two injuries in forward areas. Smith Rose is a memory at the moment. We can't wait to get him back. He's a fond memory. And every minute he doesn't play and we don't win a game, he gets better and better. Right? Of course, so yeah. so I, I think... We have to get him back healthy and sustained on the pitch because he's a massive asset for the club. And Jesus, he's killing himself to get back by mid to late February, right? So, but we need to add. This is not rocket science to, to, to us. It's, we need to add because the game has changed. We have the opportunity with five substitutes to add energy onto the pitch and we are unable to add energy. And we are seeing our most energetic sprinters play three 90 minutes on the trot in a, quite a small space of time. And despite their manful efforts, we lacked a bit of sharpness when it really, really mattered around the box. And that is just where we are. So we, in some ways, Andrew, this game w- was perfectly timed. Mm. It was early January. 
It wasn't home to Everton. We didn't drop points to them or, or home to Southampton who are in mm. a bad place right now. We dropped points to the, the meanest defence in the league, the team that are third in the league. We got seven from nine and we learned something in a month where we can react to it, right? And I think that's really important. The time it happened, as long as we react to it, if this happens, remember the end of last season, we lost to was it Palace, Brighton, mm-hmm. Southampton. If we find this problem out then in the money months of the year when we really need to win something, this is not a good time because we can't react. But we can react now, and I really feel we must do that, and I'm pretty confident that we will do. Me too. I just have some concerns about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and, you know, how many of our eggs are in the Mikhailo Mudrik basket right now. Clearly, he is the player that we want. Clearly, he is a player who wants Arsenal. And I don't think it's necessarily a particularly complicated situation, you know? The simple fact is Shakhtar want way too much money for him. Chelsea have come along now and done what what Chelsea do. Um, That is another thing to deal with. Um, Whether the player wants to go there, that's another question. But it wasn't a bidding war, and now it could kind of be a bidding war. Or it might be a case that there's a stalemate. Chelsea bid way above the odds because they are stupid. Um, <laughs> you know, let's face it. Uh, Shakhtar are happy to take that money, but the player doesn't want to go to Chelsea. And Arsenal are sort of in the background. And then you're wondering, you know, what what do we do? I mean, how do you view that situation? How How long should Arsenal wait? How far should they push for a player who, you know, with all due respect, is... Obviously talented, yeah, but doesn't have a track record that would lend you to gamble excessively on a fee that could be, you know, somewhere in the region of eighty million pounds. See, I, I, I'm not comfortable with that number, mate. That you just mentioned, and no, me neither. When we get when we get into these discussions as podcast people around numbers, we leave ourselves open a little bit because it's all rumor and conjecture, and we're never too sure how. Mm. Any deal is constructed and what rumour to believe, right? But we can only look at what he's done on the pitch. And I think he's played eight times for his national team, hasn't scored a goal, right? So he's played 30 to 40 games for Shakhtar. Mm-hmm. He's been on loan a couple of times. I'm just going to put a guess out there that he's had 50 top flight games, you know, professional yeah, just games. There, there about, so. As 50 to 60 of professional games. And, and he has got unmissable talent you can see it right you, you'd be dumb you can't miss it right? but you get jobs based on your cv and what you've done and not and not just what you potentially could be mm-hmm. and what you potentially could be could reach that number well let's have a deal that's constructed accordingly then and if he does reach some of those targets then you have to pay a set set of money and i'm sure that's what i also trying to do there are comparative deals out there which you know the main united chelsea they they've just ruined the market, right? Haven't they with their stupidities, right? Yeah, so, um, the, the comparison to Anthony all the time is just like, yeah, oh. exactly. Well, the comparison to Gakpo is probably more of the one that's closer, right? And, I would um, agree, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and even Rafinha deal. Rafinha, look at his track record, 25, Brazilian international. You know, he went up 50, 55 mil, mm. you know, and he's done a bit, you know, and mm. 
And he knew the club he wanted to go for. And much like Mudrick, he said where he wants to go, more or less. And so there's one club that has an advantage, and that's reduced the market. And Shakhtar are trying to expand the market. Mm. We just have to be cool, mate. Stay to our principles, stay to what our value is, and don't move beyond our value. Because as we've seen in the past, and we've spoken about this before, me and you, we can't dismiss the price. I don't like when people say it's not our money because that player then walks to that price. Mm-hmm. And we judge him on that price. £72 you know, million pound Nicolas Pepe. We judge him on the price. Right? It's simple as that. And, um, and, and if someone costs money, we're going to expect certain behaviours. We're going to expect certain delivery, mm. and that's the truth of it. We, let's not pretend otherwise. So I'm hoping it's a reasonable number. And not, only, not only do we judge him on that price, but the media judge him on that price, and they lay the pressure on the sure. individual just to see if they can break him. That's, so, yeah. That's another really good point. Like, you know, if it does end up being a crazy price, it's not just fans, but it will be every time he's talked about, it will be it will be part and parcel of the thing. And, you know, I think Mudrik is a, an exciting player. Um, you know, the, the, the pace is unbelievable. That gives us a, an extra weapon. We're quick enough up top as it is, but I think he's just got that little bit of Walcotty and fucking Billy Wiz to him, you know? Yeah. If it is that crazy money, though, right? It makes something like the Zhao Felix deal look almost reasonable because I know it doesn't quite work like this, but if, you're, if you've got 80 million to spend on Mudrik, you could do the 20 million on the Zhao Felix loan and still have 60 million, and you can do a lot with 60 million. Yeah. There are players on the market out there, there are players available right now that you could get with 80 million pounds at your disposal. Maybe not quite the profile of him, but certainly still good players. I'm thinking of of Barcelona right now, right? I'm thinking of Ferran Torres, a player who we bid for last summer, a player who Barcelona maybe don't want to sell. He hasn't played a huge amount this summer, but Barcelona are absolutely fucked financially. (laughs) And I remember probably, is it 10 years ago now at this point, there was a Spanish club, that were absolutely fucked financially and they sold us a little genius for around 13 million, 14 million pounds called Santi Cazorla. We took yeah. advantage of Malaga who were in dire straits. Barcelona, bigger institution, bigger club. I'm just thinking about, do you have a time frame on this? Because there's a lot of people talking about, look, we need, we need something before the Spurs game. It would be great to have a signing in before the Spurs game. If you had Smith Rowe and a signing before the Spurs game, I think we'd all feel more confident and happier going to, to White Hart Lane. So is there a point where Arsenal have to say, look, Shakhtar being intransigent here, we can't deal with this. We can't deal with their demands. Chelsea are ruining the deal because they're sniffing around like a fucking thirsty dog, uh, even though they've got no chance. You know, they're, it's a spoke in the wheel, if you like. So, you know, at some point, with other important games coming uh, in, in January, Manchester United as well, let's not forget, like, do Arsenal need to have a time frame? I think we can assume that they probably have other irons in the fire at this point. That like all the eggs are not going to be in the one basket because we've seen that this is a club that's that's been better run than it has been. But but should there be a time frame on this? 
I'm I, I would have said that if we had a congested January, but we don't really. We got three games to go in January, is that right? And one is Oxford. Right? So um so we're not too congested. So I've I've relaxed on that. But it would you know, from a coaching point of view, you want to get the players in really, really quickly. Right. Mm. So um my my view is and you mentioned three players there and I and I like them all and I've YouTubed them all to to my followers on many, many occasions. <laughs> and um <laughs> and the Ferran Torres one is is a hunch I had basically when when they got Rafinha. And then I found out about the uh, the bid. And I've always quite liked him. He's not as exciting, you know, on YouTube as uh, Mudrick is, but he's a, he's a nice player. He's a nice player. I suppose the, the real, I think what it is, Andrew, where I am with it is, I think we're going to get one. I think we're going to end up getting Mudrick. Right? It's just, just the price that concerns me. But I think we need two. And the second one is almost more instructive about where we are. And how and how serious we are, and what, you may say, "Well, go we've got enough. We've got Smith Rowe coming back. We've got Jesus coming back, but they're both coming back from injury. And just because they're coming back on one day, doesn't mean on day one they're going to be ready to play to levels that we remember them at. So it's you take time to come back. You think we need another attacker, another attacking player? I do. I think another attacking player, and this is where the Felix one is more is quite interesting because mm. it is something medium term. The numbers need to be right. But if we are, I don't, say, I don't say if we are serious, it sounds a little bit um, full of entitlement, you know, but mm. but I do think there's a there's an opportunity here, isn't there? And I do think the opportunity will be described almost by how Smith Rowe recovers versus doing it a second one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And if we're, if we're, if we care about our players, which I know we do, Smith Rowe is at a critical period of his career. He's had this injury for quite a while. He's been he's been fighting this since the Huddersfield days, to be honest, where he's not been robustly on the pitch. And now they seem to put put him under a knife and they fixed it. And they're gonna protect him. You know, so we have these expectations on mm. him. But they need to protect him. Because he, he, he can't break down again. It's too much time. Too much time and he'll lose key development. So it's very important we protect him. And Jay Zeus has had it looks like he's had an MCL injury. That's pretty common. There's a common rehab on that. But again, we need to make sure that when he comes back, he can come back in a staged way. Mm-hmm. You know? So we're all, you know, we're on open top buses in on Upper Street. We're already there, right? <laughs> but I'm afraid, <laughs> I'm afraid we need the players to take us there. We need enough of them. You know, mm-hmm. and I do think that that's a decision. The second one will tell us a lot about where Smith Rowe is, where Jesus is, and the potential size opportunity we have at the end of January, because if we do do well, mm. really well, against United and against Spurs, then hold on a minute, mate. There's a you're just staring at it, aren't you? You're staring at the chance. Well, yeah, you are, but that's why I think there's a sort of anxiety about getting a couple of players in before before those games. Like I think we're capable of beating Tottenham with the squad and the players that we have at this moment in time. I also think we're capable of beating Manchester United with the players and the squad that we have at this moment in time. Yeah. It's just whether or not there will be acknowledgement of that if those results don't go our way. Will it be because, A, we didn't play well on the day, which is probably 
the most rational explanation or will it be mm-hmm. because B, we didn't bring anybody in in the transfer market? And I think there will be an element after what happened last January that will think, you know what, you've, you've got these important games, you knew you needed a bit more depth. You, you know, even if, let's say you don't play particularly well in one of those games and you're looking at an academy kid coming off the bench to give you something in attack, if he's even used, you know, yeah. there might not be as much forgiveness or understanding in, in some quarters anyway. I, I agree that I think last year I understood what we did and why we did it. Uh, I was fine with it. And I, and I say that, I said it at the time, I said it, mm. even though we didn't hit the top four, I thought it's more important to clean house than to, to bring the people in that weren't quite the right people. Right. So, but this year I feel differently about it. And I think our, our levels have gone up and so we need to go up and we, we can't, it's not fair to those academy kids who spent 10 years at the club to be judged in 15 minutes on a big game live on TV. That's not how you protect mm. players, right? That's not where, how it should work. And so we need to make sure we have the right depth there. I do think in February, everything will become more congested. Europa League kicks back in again. If we're in the FA Cup, that's still going to be there. Suddenly we're traveling away in Europe and suddenly we're back mm. to the Sunday to Sunday game thing. And we're starting to worry. One little car strain is three weeks to the wrong player. That's a problem. Mm. You know, it's a problem. And so we do need to sort of mitigate that risk, you know. And um, I am, like I say, I'm already booking the open top bus, but I will say, I said it to you before, I'm sick of that Europa League music, mate. I don't want to hear it. Every <laughs> that that is the only thing that matters because the, this group, on a sporting ambition perspective, needs to be in the Champions League. Bakaya Saka cannot play in the Europa League again. Yeah, he can't. No, right? he's just bounced out of the World Cup with probably three open play goals, and that it can't happen. Mm. Right? He needs to go. He needs to be in that Champions League. As do many of these players. Saliba needs to be there. Marte needs to be there. They're at an age now; they need to experience this, and we want them to experience it at Arsenal. So, despite where my head is, and despite the window of opportunity that's there, that's the number one thing that we should be buying for to de-risk that. You might think, oh, we're going to be top four and fine. Make three games a week, and that can change. Simple as that, it can change. We saw it last year, didn't we? It yeah. can change very quickly. I mean, the development of these young players over the last couple of years has been unbelievable in some quarters. You know, Bakayo Saka at 21 to do what he's doing at 21. But he's not anywhere near his peak. He's not anywhere near as good as he can be. I think your point about where he needs to be playing to help him develop into that player, it's not against FC Carl in the Europa League. He's got to be playing in the Champions League. So, yeah, I, I know what you mean. But that then brings us back to to what we've got to do. January, there's only two more games. You're right. After the Oxford game in the, in the FA Cup, and I expect a lot of rotation in that. Yeah. But then you've got a North London derby and you've got Manchester United at home. You win those two, everyone's quite happy to give you until the end of the month to bring in the players you want. Yeah. I suppose the, what I would say, um, not to sort of make any kind of excuses or anything like that, but it's hugely important that whoever they bring in is the right player for this group, for this club, for this team, stylistically, 
they've got the right character, they've got the right attitude, they've done their due diligence on them. Just getting anybody isn't what we need to do because we did that for too long and, and that sort of held us back. So that's part of how we make progress as well, is making sure that the transfers we do are the right players. Yeah, I think so. I think the problem is now, this is the other, the flip side to this, right? So a year or so ago, we were saying, well, you know, Bamiyang might have to go, and this player's going to have to go. And we all pretty agreed the, the timing, we could dis- debate, but we sort of knew the ones that were sticking out. With the group we have right now, most of the key players we all really like mm. and we're all really invested in. So even talking about transfers is like, that may actually reduce the minutes of someone we really, really oh, like. I don't mind if it's another yeah. good player. I don't mind. They'll all yeah. get their. They'll all get their time. But we got, we have to get comfortable with that, though, don't we? Mm. We have to get comfortable. Not everybody is, and they say things like, Mudrick, do we need Mudrick? We got Smith Rowe, Martinelli, you know, and they both play on the left. Do we need him? It's a debate, Andrew. You know, it's mm. a debate. It, to me, it's another good player, and we don't know where Smith Rowe is going to play, etc. Should he play on the right a bit more? We don't know. So. This, this is the next phase for us, really. And it's back to Champions League music time. Champions League music time, you've got to rotate properly with mm. players of equal quality. And you need to be able to do that on a, every three days. And so our perception of what the squad was and how we've been sort of Arsenal brainwashed that we are pretty good at developing young people and we don't mind broken soldiers and fixing them. When the day comes, we buy a ready-made player, bang, to complete one of our academy kids. It's going to be a challenge for us. You know, it's going to be a real challenge for us. You know, if Jal Felix comes in, for example, he's not coming in to carry the oranges, mate. He's coming in to play, isn't he? And so it's going to be a challenge for us and our perception of the, of the squad, right? So interesting times. We all want the top table, but when we're there, we're going to have to adjust how we view the team and how we view the squad. Yeah, there's a ruthlessness required to how you build a squad if you want that squad to keep going. I think if you take your eye off the ball even a little bit, you end up like Liverpool this season. And, you know, nobody, I think, would have predicted this fall off for Liverpool, even if you could see, you know, the age curve with some of the players and and everything else. I I just think they've taken their eye off the ball when it comes to recruitment and they're paying the price for it. So, yep, you're right. And just a couple of changes internally, maybe potentially a bit of staff turmoil. It doesn't take much to knock the ship off course, right? Yeah. A couple of one or two decisions where players come in is taking longer to hit the ground and suddenly you're putting more pressure on other players who are not ready mm. you know, and some of the older players are taking longer to come back from injury and you suddenly you've got a hole in your team mm. and even van dyke's picked up a hamstring and he's like a machine right so yeah this is it can change very quickly mate real quick well we'll see what they do in, in the transfer market the final thing i just wanted to to chat about was the you talked about it earlier. What's the narrative? What's the story that's coming out of this season? And I think the new one is Mikel Arteta on the sideline mm. and people taking umbrage and exception to the way that he comports himself, right? Yeah. So we know that Richard Keyes is just a fucking. You know, we know what he's all about. He's got this bee in his bonnet about Arteta and his technical area. And nobody really should give a shit about this washed-up old dinosaur. He's been he's been going on about this all season, and nobody gives a shit. But it's starting to become a bit more mainstream. I saw um, a piece, I think, in 
the Telegraph, maybe. I can't remember what it was. Yeah, but I didn't read it, but I saw it. And I've seen people talking about it. And I've seen Arsenal fans talk about it and saying that this is not the way that, that a manager should behave and there should be more class and all that kind of stuff. And I'm just wondering what they've been watching for the last three years. <laughs> Who have they been seeing on the sideline? You know, have they been like looking at a hologram of a guy who sits down and doesn't say anything? This, this to me is part of the Arsenal being good. Now there's more focus on Arsenal. Let's like just pick away, pick here, pick there, a little, you know, yeah. have a dig here, a dig there. And I, I don't really get it. Like, obviously, he's a very passionate guy. I think this is just part of the package where he kind of, is what he is, and part of the passion that he instills in the players comes from the way that he behaves on, on the sideline. I do think, to an extent, some of it is the fact that he's still a young guy and a young manager, and he wants to affect things as much as he possibly can, even though it's kind of out of his control. It's a way of maintaining some control by, some people would say, being out of control on the sideline. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that that's the way they're, yeah. they're approaching it, right? But this is who he is. This is who he has been. This is part of why we are where we are. And I genuinely don't want him to change it, not least because it's possibly the most selective bit of, in inverted commas, analysis that I can remember because every manager does it. Every Absolutely. single manager goes crazy over one thing or another thing. So exactly. why the focus, do you think? Yeah, just just win the games, right? That's the most important thing. Do you remember when Jurgen Klopp ran on the pitch to jump on his goalkeeper? He was literally by the penalty spot, nearly. Yeah, yeah, He yeah. ran on the pitch, and he was all seen as good old Jurgen, you know, good guy, he's got the passion, etc. Yeah. Arteta's quite passionate. He, he, had a, he had a spat with Klopp at Anfield last year, and they tried to use that against him, right? So, um and I was talking to one of your friends of mine, Tayo, today. I was just talking to him offline. And mm. basically, we, he was sort of saying to me, they tried this with Wenger as well. They tried to focus on his offline behavior with Mourinho, etc. And it's something that they've done, particularly when it's around Arsenal, to chip away at the major's perceived class when other teams could do what they like. Yeah. Right? And, and I do think it's a very Arsenal-centric thing that seems to happen. But it is also an indicator that we're back, mate. If this is all they can talk about, we're back. And we just need to keep building the squad to make sure we stay back. Because mm. what they're looking at is our ability with the youngest manager in the league, with the youngest team in the league, to cope with the pressure. That's what they're looking at. That's the story they want to create. Can they cope with the pressure? Because last year, we didn't cope with the pressure and Spurs going to Champions League by default. Can they cope with the pressure? They have this lead. No team has not won the league with X amount of points after X amount of games. You can see it building, can't you? Yeah, you can yeah. see the story building. The manager's under pressure in January, the first game they've had, and, and suddenly he's going crazy. They're just building it, building it, building it. Mm. So if I'm anybody in their club, I'm saying, all right, if that's what you want, we're going to get better and better and better. And the only narrative you're going to write is our future potential and how many things we're going to win. That's the narrative I want to see develop and make sure our mentality is tip-top super strong. I do think Arteta, some of this is contrived. I do think he's positioned himself with referees. I do. I think you want to say something here, didn't well, you? Well, I, I, I did want to ask you about it. I mean, do you think, 
like again, I, I I'm fine with it. I think he's um you know he I look at if I was a football manager, that's the way I would be. Yeah. I know that. Um, but do you think there might be anything counterproductive to it? I mean, he seems that he came onto the field after the game uh, against Newcastle and, you know, shaking the hands of the referee, like fourth officials and managers, they're at it all game long. Not just Arteta, not just Eddie Howe. You know, we've seen it. They do, you know, we don't see half of, we don't see 1% of what goes on on the sideline because the cameras are on the pitch. But is there any possibility that referees might be influenced by the media narrative around this, this is why I think it's important to frame it like that, that it's not necessarily Arteta behaving much differently from the way he has done or from the way that many other managers do. But if it's out there in the media, is that something that referees start paying attention to? You know, do do on-field decisions suffer or are there there consequences for on-field decisions because of this? I think they will be watching him and his uh, ability to do ten thousand steps in that in that uh, <laughs> technical area. Right, my yeah. watch would be picking like crazy if that if yeah, I was yeah. him. And so, so I think they'll be watching that. But when it comes down to it, when he speaks about referees, he's fairly respectful. He did shake everyone's hand on the sideline and mm-hmm. all the officials, as you noted. I think he chose the word scandalous around the penalty decisions, you know, very smartly pre-North London derby, Andrew, and to making sure that you know that we didn't get two penalties in the last game. And by the way, in the last North London derby, we just brushed Son on the back post and gave a penalty which caused a big, you know, basically decided the game. And so there are things that are said for effect. And I don't think this is a young man losing his stuff in front of the nation in January. I think this is him positioning himself as a manager and this is how this is who i am this is how i am this is how much arsenal are serious about winning and you better treat us with respect and stop sending stupid referees like bobby manley for his first game at the emirates we expect big game referees that can handle it Mm. right and that's what we need and that's a problem you know that's a general problem for the game having enough referees can handle these big games against the bigger sides you know, and we had a referee at the week that didn't handle it very well. No. Didn't manage the game very well. And Arteta made his points in a really respectful way, vociferously, but mm-hmm. respectful. And when it come down to it, there was no controversy in what he said. You know, so yeah. at the moment, Richard Keyes has shone the light on him, but he can stand still for a few minutes when it really counts. And uh, that will soon go, and that will shine somewhere else soon, yeah. very quickly. Uh, that is a very good point about the. I think it was Andy Madley rather than Bobby Madley uh, who yeah, was the referee. You might be right. But, yeah, Thank one you. of the Madley twats. Um, but I think that's a really good point about the North London Derby coming up. I hadn't considered that, considering the track record of penalties that are awarded to the other team in those games. There's maybe just a little bit more method to the madness than people might think, eh? That's how I would do it. I, it's time for us not to be, uh, you know, there are two games that killed me last year, hurt me badly when it comes to referees, was the the Man City game when Gabriel got sent off. Remember that one? Mm-hmm. We were flying. Mm-hmm. And um, the North London derby. I thought that first penalty was so soft. Not, you know, compare it to one we didn't get in the week, right? It's just one was, it's just nothing. Yeah. You can't have moments that decide games like that. 
you know, based on that. It's not, it's not right. So, um, so yeah, it's all contrived in my opinion. All right. Good stuff. Okay. Well, we'll leave it there for now. As always, pleasure to talk to you, Clive Palmer. Thanks a million. Thank you very much. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Thank you very much indeed to Clive. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Clive P-A-F-C. That's at Clive P-A-F-C. And of course, you'll hear him more regularly on the Arsenal Vision podcast. Right, I'm going to leave it there for this particular episode. There won't be an end bit for this one because we did one on Wednesday. Whatever about getting two arsecasts in a week, you can't get two end bits. Got to keep some of that good stuff back, you know. You know how it is. For more podcast action, check out Patreon. We've got an episode of The 30 over there. Myself and Phil Costa talking about the week's Premier League action. We do that every week. And we will have a preview podcast for the FA Cup game as well. That's coming probably on Sunday. Myself and Lewis Ambrose will look ahead to our game against Oxford United. So if you want to get involved with that, you can sign up for a fiver a month. It's patreon.com forward slash arsblog. That's patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. The Arsecast Extra this week will be on Tuesday, of course. It will be after the FA Cup game, which takes place on Monday night. For now, take it easy. Thank you, as always, for listening, and we will catch you on the next one. Until then, cheers. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.